Life gives you a lot of opportunities to be happy, selfishly happy. But the real happiness comes from, okay, what do I do with who I am? How do I share it with others? This is Andrea Darabosch and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. I want you to imagine your past life. <laughs> right, where should I start? Imagine you need to write your life story in form of a book already. It's a challenge, right? It's, it's, uh, frankly, it's not everyone has thought of this. As we always think, when we get older, we should write about our life then. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share to others. Achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions. And if everyone asks, what is actually this chapters of my life podcast? It's these kind of stories. It's an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audiobook format capturing the willpower and belief of people during these important life-changing decisions. So we interview innovators, athletes, entrepreneurs, change makers to give an insight into their past life from young age till today, and maybe future untold plans. We're covering topics around sport, entrepreneurship, mindfulness, travel, nutrition, yoga, meditation, and much more. Everything which leads to the present till today. Interviewed by me, Daniel Ludwig, and you can find me on social media at by Daniel Ludwig. Discover More is her Chapters of My Life book title. Well, it all summarizes what my next podcast guest aims for. I had Andrea Darabosch on my mic. She is the founder of Lean Advantage and Agile Coach for HSBC. I know her for several years now, and every time I meet her, she also got this positive attitude, which kind of streams, let's make it happen. Andrea works with entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and leadership teams of organizations worldwide to create sustainable, successful business models and engaging workplaces. She chooses six chapters. Humble and Happy, Chapter 1, is about her childhood in Hungary in the 80s. Growing up in the Soviet Union times, life was simple, but also tough. Already in her early years of her childhood, she was fascinated in several areas of interest. Among others, music, mathematics, and even in logistics, and organizing small events. Chapter 2, Exploring to Learn, is all about mathematics, a subject which she is attached for several years, throughout her teenage years and in her 20s. She dedicated an own chapter about mathematics, which she called it After Two. This chapter is about using her skills and passion to turn complex business problems into basic algorithms while looking into stats and analytics. Decoding Mathematics is Chapter 4, where she shares her study years. As she said, she always aims to have a positive attitude, which paid out in her study years. She soon started to organize classes. Chapter 5 called Growing in Confidence, which is a more larger chapter, fully packed about her work experience abroad, first in Germany, later in China and Finland. Ongoing consultancy and implementation of larger scale business transformation programs for multinationals in Europe, US, Canada and Asia brought her more experience in product development, marketing and business model generation. Continuous Improvement, called Chapter 6, where Andrea explains her life in the UK, 
where she founded her business Lead Advantage back in 2011 and since then works on building self-awareness and self-reliance via various leadership coaching tools and lean and agile methods. Alright, let's do it. A more entrepreneurial chapter of my life podcast story with Andrea Darabusch. Here we go. Enjoy. So here we are. Thanks, Andrea, for taking the time. In Hello, Danny, and thank you. Thank you. Um, we are currently in your beautiful, small, mini studio mm-hmm. near Canary Wharf. Compact living. Compact living. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing a beautiful sun uh, set actually over London. Um, I mentioned that in the intro, what you currently do. And I want to mention a little bit more and go more deeper later. Um, and as I mentioned before in, in the talk before, we this podcast is all about turning your life story into kind of a book. And I know you for roughly around, remind me quickly, six, seven years? Six, seven years where we first met at Impact Hub in London. Okay. It's I do, true. I do, yeah, yeah. It yeah. feels six, like seven two years, years. but <laughs> <laughs> it's very sad that it's six, seven years. Six, seven years, yeah. And uh, um, I know I know you since that time for someone who is working very hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, just before the podcast, you told me actually something which I kept in mind. You just told me literally before the podcast, you said, last couple of days, you stayed up till almost midnight to print something, some papers for the day after, for the mm-hmm. next day, at mi- till midnight. Have you been always, uh, do your friends, do your work colleagues see you as a very, very busy person as well? Or is it more like um, you're just doing it with your all your heart when it comes mm. to that? I think it's both. As a, or, or, or colleagues could see you as a work colleague as well. Yeah, I think... Uh, when we go out for dinners with colleagues or for drinks in London, it's more common to have a drink for dinner. Uh, then they often say, okay, enough. Don't talk about lean. Don't talk about agile. I'm a person who are very easily connecting <laughs> uh, a strike on the tube or a shopping experience easily connected to, to my work. And then conversations easily flow into some continuous improvement domain or some leadership story. They're like, Andrea, come on, move on. Let's just talk about beer (laughs) or football. (laughs) But lean is beer and football for me. (laughs) It's both. Um, How many late evenings did you have? Because when you just told me about this, like, that's... Sounds very tough, you know, till midnight. And I know mm-hmm. that you, several times you stayed up till midnight, worked very hard. Yeah. How many t- how many mi- late midnight shifts did you have? Yeah. So I am a morning person, so it's uncommon for me to stay up till midnight, actually. So that's why I'm like mentioning it even. <laughs> <laughs> Normally I start work working if I have a lot to do around six o'clock. I work until eight and then I go do my other work, which is consultancy. And then by the time I finish work, five or six in the evening, which is relatively normal in the UK, then I can relax. So these two cases were about preparing handouts for workshops that I was running, Mm -hmm. for helping the teams understand process improvement, Kanban specifically we did, or some kind of training experiences that I was preparing. And when I prepare them, okay, 
they are a lot of work because it's making sure that all the details are right, the slides are done, and I haven't forgot my laptop charger the day before. <laughs> so simple things. And I did manage to even forget something, but I worked around it. Um, however, I realized since my childhood that actually helping people learn or teaching or training adults mainly is my main interest. And it gives yeah. me so much energy. I just need to imagine, oh, I'm already next day doing the workshop. And even if I'm just preparing, already like thinking about how can I help people understand the complex problem or a complex concept how can i make it fun what games will we play later i will show you i just bought a, a grumpy cat a okay. lovely little you mentioned soft it in toy the yeah. <laughs> and um, i have these toys that people bring into the training and then they throw them around and it yeah. creates fun it creates uh, energy in the room and uh, makes uh, a difficult topic more enjoyable and more memorable. In the in the conversation we had before the podcast, you briefly mentioned something, but you really spoke from your heart. You, your goal is to work with individuals, but to help them. Yes. And to help an individual, to support them. Yeah. It could be an individual in, in, a, in a company, in a startup, or in entrepreneurship. Where do you think this came from? This kind of feeling of like you want to give, not just mm -hmm. give back, but you want to, you know, support individuals so yeah. they can shine. Yes. Mm. So I think you um, mentioned that this podcast is about a book yes. format or a vision yes. of a book and describing our life in chapters. And my early memories of the importance of helping others is just from the family, to be honest, grandparents. My grandpa uh, was a writer, uh, writing about forests and nature and the animals who live in the forest. And when I was born, he was already writing uh, about me in the books, except for uh, my name is Andrea in Hungarian, and he was writing Andrew because he always wanted a grandson. <laughs> okay. So um, this uh, story about my grandpa, as I grew up and got to understand what he does he was not only writing books about forests he was actually planning the forest so agricultural planning forecasting what type of uh, species live in a forest and managing the flora fauna and besides that work not only did he do writing he did also photography he was in the forest twice per week the rest of the day in the office managing the forest And his passion was to go to schools, show his pictures, tell his stories, and help secondary school children enjoy biology more. So imaginary kind of storytelling. No, to real inspire, stories. Yeah, but real yeah. story, but also inspire them. Yeah, the story. absolutely. Story he story. had, um, out of his own goodwill, he had this presentation he has prepared, like classes, entire lessons that he could bring to schools. And as we were growing up, he was kind of practicing on yeah. grandchildren, me and my sister also learning from him. So that's one role model in my life, which inspired me that even though you could be hunting all day or you could be taking pictures, Life is, uh, is, gives you a lot of opportunities to be happy, selfishly happy. But the real happiness comes from, okay, what do I do with who I am? How do I share it with others? And uh, I'm very fortunate to have good examples in my life. A yeah. lot of people, memories of, of people I knew, uh, which describe this strange thing that when we give to other people, when we have them, we get more back. I 
whenever I meet you, I always see someone who not just show positiveness, but also mm. has lots of energy, always mm. has a smile on. Even if in stressful situations, and you are in plenty of stressful situations, you always smile. And I think this is also what you transfer to other people as well when you work with you trying to control the situation. Mm -hmm. I came across um, before we're going to look into a little bit more in the, the book in the life story. Yeah. I came across an, um, a comment from someone and that's kind of summarizes as well. Um, he said, as a trainer, coach and consultant and author on Lean and Archal, who has traveled four continents and worked with hundreds of companies worldwide, I have seldom found people with a deeper understanding of these topics than Andrea. Mm -hmm. This itself is kind of a summary that you, you know, traveled, not just, you know, as, as um, around the world, worked with hundreds of companies, but you live it. You live what you mm. Yeah, you live your work. You actually love mm. working in this field as well. Yeah. And, uh, it's true. And people can people uh, perceive you as a, as well as a person who is always um, providing you know positive energy as well into the workroom, into the workshop, etc. So why why this inspiration or this commitment that every conversation ends up with lean <laughs> for me <laughs> and ends up about being lean is thanks to one of my managers, previous managers in Ericsson, Pierre Gustafsson, who uh, is uh, still with the company and who was my manager when I first visited China. He and his colleagues were going through a business transformation and at that period we realized that we need to do more than just look at the company as a set of processes. It's not just about processes and numbers, it's also about the people who work in a company. And they, they showed me these lean practices that Toyota invented in 1960s. In 2000, 2010, we were learning about lean in the West and putting it into practice, Western company, but actually doing it in China. And I discovered that lean, as much as it seems it's a process mapping or waste management tool, a conscious improvement tool, no, lean is a philosophy and it says people do the work and people will improve the work. And when people improve their work, which is half of our life, People will learn tools and ways to even improve their lives. And yes. the manager of those people who improve the day-to-day -day work, so a manager can change the life of their teams. And that's what fascinated me. And I'm really thankful for my manager, Pierre, yeah. <laughs> still, <laughs> for showing me Lean and all the managers I work with there and since then, who showed me how we can make a massive change in how people perceive themselves, how people live their lives, and how people use lean and other tools and techniques to improve their lives. Yeah. So let me go back a little bit uh, in time. Um, and when we, when we talk about your book, I was, you know, you work as a coach, you work as, you're for many also sometimes a mentor as well, because you mm. um, your work experience as well. I, when I was thinking about where I would put your book and what position in the library, mm -hmm. in which section, where would you put your book, in which section? Is it under uh, um, mm. business, in the business section? Would it be in the uh, I love. corporate section or where would yeah. it be? <laughs> I love business. <laughs> Probably um, in the, inter the intersection of business and 
uh, self-help books or or personal development books. So um, it's as we discussed earlier, it's how can you improve your business, your work, and also improve your life with the same set of tools, with mm. the same positive mindset, the same mindfulness approach. Yeah. I mean, in the end of the day, it's eight hours or even more, way more you spend yeah, it's one life. The day. Yeah, it's, it's actually, one life, half, half <laughs> one person. Exactly. So why is that that the skills we learn at work we don't apply it to our own lives? Yes. It's it's the same person who we are at work or supposed to be. Hopefully, your workplace also allows you to be your Danny, your whole exactly. self, your yourself. Yeah. You don't need to pretend all day because that costs a lot of energy. Yeah, I had today in the morning actually um, someone else on the podcast, Yaron. Uh, mm -hmm. And he is uh, also a mentor. He's also like a um, musician, but he helped his clients to find the inner passion through mm. music, through playing drums. And it. finding the inner passion comes from the inner heart as well. So yes. reconnecting mm. to your inner heart. Because so often, and that's what he em emphasized, so often we are disconnected mm -hmm. from what we really want. We just execute. Mm. We reacting instead of acting. And that happens when you're disconnected with the work, what you do. You mm. not know why. Mm. And I think this is also what you currently do with all the, we're going to mm. talk later about the management 3.0, mm -hmm. strong suits, etc. You're trying to re help your yes. clients, uh, the people you help with, the individuals, reconnect to why they are doing it. Yes. I think finding our purpose and aligning our goals with also our strengths and our values. So the more we are able to align our life with actually who we are and what we believe in, the happier we can be. And not only happier we become, but we can help more people. Because once your life is organized and in order and you are healthy and satisfied and energized, some days you will be tired, let's admit, <laughs> but still, <laughs> it's one of those days. Um, but still, you will, most days, you will be so energized and so ready to change the world that you cannot stop yourself. You will help yeah. other people. And you inspire others, actually. Yeah. And By just energy. being yourself, yeah. people will notice. Yeah. So um, let's imagine we're going to this business self-help section. Mm -hmm. Grab your book. Mm -hmm. I open the book and usually in each book there is um, just a slight police or ambulance on the road so yes. that's not for us um, in each book there is usually a thank you uh, note as well in the beginning of people who you thank mm -hmm. most who do you thank most in your life so far Hmm. It's very hard to choose. <laughs> you don't need to Do choose. Do I need to maybe? choose? No. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's up to you. I mean, it's your yeah. Book. So family first, then um, then my managers or all my managers before. If I were now to list them, I'm sure I will forget forget someone. Uh, but for example, my first manager also with Ericsson is a Hungarian manager, Zsolt Sendrei. I'm Hungarian, by the way, if you were wondering about my accent. So Zsolt, for example, I chose my first company because of the person. He made an impression on me. It's not, it, it's, it, people say when you go to an interview, not only should you answer questions, but you should prepare your questions because you are also interviewing your manager. Most of the time, in fact, more than 60% of the time when people leave, it is due to a single factor, 
when people resign is due to their manager. Mm -hmm. That people are unhappy with the the management support or the leadership that they work with um, and they lack something from their manager. So I'm really thankful for my managers. I'm thankful for friends like you, (laughs) many friends around the world because I have traveled and lived abroad for a while. And um, I thank for people I worked with who gave me opportunity to have them. So also. Plenty of people you think for. I think this is important that we should never forget who we actually Mm. should be thankful. Everyone around you actually. You know, yeah. everyone will help you to the journey. So when I go to the table of content, um, I see some chapters and I want to go into the first chapter with you and going back in time um, to your childhood. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about the childhood, Andrea's childhood. Yeah. How was Andrea when, uh, hmm. as a kid? When I look around um, in my room... I still see my childhood friends' pictures (laughs) just there. And we have grown up on those pictures. (laughs) (laughs) But we had a big uh, family reunion recently because we have three birthdays. And I also celebrated an important birthday. And um, I was very happy to be celebrating with my friend who I have known since the age of two. And there are four friends that we, we became close to during schools. And we were fortunate enough to stay good friends into adulthood but we spent uh, 14 years together in the same school and I remember organizing some kind of club for us so I came up with the idea that it's not enough to be together during school because we are on lessons and as much as we were sending messages with paper planes during class that wasn't satisfying enough I wanted to be more connected (laughs) to learn more about my friends to spend more time so I organized some kind of club what age were you at that? Um, four or five, four or five six, four or five, really, something like this. Already, okay. Yes. So we were already playing all the time and together with two of two friends, and then it extended to four of us. And we had some activities. It was very lucky that we grew up in Budapest, so it was a smaller neighborhood. So we could all walk home together and. Yeah, this my first team is my memory of yeah. finding my friends, of spending a lot of time together, feeling connected, discussing all kinds of things, trying to change the world already <laughs> 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 and effectively playing a lot. So, yeah. yeah. During this reunion you had, um, I don't know if you uh, talked with each other, how do the, your friends memorize you? Remember yeah. you uh, in your childhood how do they memorize you as someone was very someone was very curious about your things is very happy how do they remember you so they memorize me as someone being good at school but never being arrogantly good or never showing off at class so I knew most of the questions and I was a bit bored to be honest during school the teacher was asking questions I knew the answers but I only put up my hand when they asked me Andrea, when no one could answer, okay, I gave the answer. So I was quite humble and that was critical because there were other classmates who always knew the answer and put up their hands. People didn't like them. So I was, people knew Andrea knows, but Andrea was last. Uh, There was one day, however, I was bad at history and (laughs) teacher expected Andrea knows. 
So he, he asked me. <laughs> yeah. I stood up and one is the worst grade in Hungary. Yes. Five is the best. So I got a one. I had to admit this time. I was trying to avoid it, but I don't know <laughs> the answer. I haven't prepared this lesson. So that was a memorable moment. So they do prepare me, as, uh, do remember me, I think, as someone humble. Yeah. Someone who knew most of the things. And because I was quite bored about the classes and the content, um, I took up a cello during school. So mm -hmm. I played instruments, learned languages. So I was always busy with learning something new so this playing um, instrument and um, when did it start did it start from the childhood already yes Were you, or what was your later activity during yeah age six yeah so first class yeah. the teachers music teachers were roaming around who wants to play piano not me who <laughs> wants to play drums not me who wants to play violin or cello okay i i fell in love with the beauty of these string instruments they're yeah. really nice what do you like in particular on this uh, the tone string? Yeah, the tone yeah. of the instruments, the shape of uh, all string instruments is beautiful. It's like a, a person or a woman's body. It's like a beautiful shape. And uh, also the musical pieces yeah. that are written for string. Interesting. Mm. Um, so were there any memories or are there any yeah, memories you have because you grew up in Budapest? Mm -hmm. um, in the 90s were there any memories where you say okay that's something where i keep in mind this is very typical to budapest mm -hmm. in your and your childhood yes. where you say, okay that's so typical where i really kind of miss as well which not happened years after yes the 89 is a memory of yeah. moving away from soviet times and because i i was born before that 83 i was born i was already six years old Mm -hmm. When the turn to capitalism, so to say, it was a slow turn, but when the change happened. And I, I have strong memories. Do I miss them in some way? Still, I was still young, but I do remember that we had school uniforms. And unlike in other countries, like in the UK, where school uniforms are beautiful and there are many types and each school has their own. In Hungary, there was people were so poor and also our family was poor. Everyone was poor. The same poor. <laughs> yeah. And you went into a shop and you could buy, best case, one soap. One type of soap. Best case, one can of meat. And everything was canned. Butter was in a can. <laughs> everything was in a can. Wow. Jam was in a can. Metal cans. Everything. Because that was food was transported and distributed from Russia. Yeah. And we had two colors, dark blue and dark green. This was the Soviet choice. Uh, not that it was bad, I will go come to the good side too. Um, and we had also shapes of school uniforms. Everything was the same across the same country, not, not much choice. So I remember these, that we had to wear them. I had not a good feeling about wearing them, but yeah, it was mandatory. Yes. <laughs> so these are memories. What I do miss from these times is because our parents were not shopping, they had no money mm -hmm. and there were nothing no products in the shops apart from canned food yes, yes. <laughs> and two colors people were not spending their time or dreaming about shopping mm -hmm. they didn't have these ideas of what should i buy this weekend what is missing from my life we had every we had enough to yeah. be honest we we didn't have war anymore we were not starving everyone was just simply poor yeah. And I still remember in my childhood, I played with my neighbor in our street. We had no um, 
asphalt on the road yet. It was mm-hmm. always sand. Okay. So we had an infinite amount of sand to play with and we built castles and it was safe. So it's a very different time where people were not shopping. People yes. were living a simpler life and we had time. You just mentioned simple life. Actually, I just thought about it, simple life. But a simple mm-hmm. life itself can also be, I can also have plenty of benefits as well. Yes. Because all the worries nowadays with consumer and consume, uh, kind of consume age where people ha- have to think that mm. what do we buy next weekend? What, you know, it's kind yes. of a circle, you know, uh, um, exit. A simple life sometimes can help you focus more or give you more time on the more essential. Mm-hmm. Like spending more time with a, uh, with, a, with a family, for example. Yeah. But... Obviously, it's, it was a different time as well. Yeah. Um, so it had benefits and drawbacks. Yeah. I don't know if we are allowed to jump chapters to give a sneak preview of later. <laughs> or you can quickly, yeah, just very, just okay. very, very briefly. So just very briefly. A, a good example. Later, yeah. yeah, a good example that helps me go back to this simpler life is where we met. Effectively, yeah. it's a social entrepreneurship community where people are trying to go back to what's the purpose of a company. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is not only to make money. The purpose is to make enough money to sustain your business model, to pay everyone fairly, to pay your suppliers, pay your employees, but to reinvest the profits, make it sustainable and to do good. Yes. It's a very, very inspiring, simpler way of doing business is defining what is enough. Yes. And then and also then how, to best invest. Yeah. Yeah. how to best invest your time as well. Mm. So... Growing up during these times, how would you, how would you say, or how would you s- summarize this kind of time period? Mm-hmm. Humble uh, and happy. Humble and happy. Uh, yes. Would that be your childhood, or would it till a certain age? I think or it's still, it <laughs> it's still true, but definitely for a childhood chapter is a good. Humble and happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Growing up during the times, being humble, being happy, exploring the world, exploring the city a little bit with your friends, organizing your own club, um, becoming kind of an organizer already. Yes. <laughs> Managing kind of already. Um, yeah. you, you already mentioned about the school and you already mentioned that, you know, you've been known that you know most of the questions besides this one. Yes. Uh, accident, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and you've, you also mentioned that it was a bit boring for you. Mm. Uh, why do you think it was boring? Um, I am a fast reader. I'm lucky that I, I didn't have dyslexia or other mm-hmm. challenges. So I could uh, learn to read relatively fast. I think I'm also thankful to my parents. Mm. Probably they helped me. I don't really remember. Mm. Um, but um, I had always been a fast reader since then. And I enjoy reading. So... For me to prepare for a lesson was fast enough. Yes. And I always prepared for lessons and I enjoy that. History, okay, maybe less. <laughs> but I try to prepare for lessons. My, I still remember my history teacher said, Andrea, it's not math. For math, I know, you don't need to study. You just solve them, solve those problems. But for history, you cannot solve a battle. It was 100 years ago or 500 years you ago. You cannot change it anymore. <laughs> you cannot use logic to come up yeah. with history. Yeah. That's future. <laughs> yes. So it was a memorable thing. Yeah, when I had to memorize things, 
that was a bit slower and yeah. didn't go as well. How do you mm. see the times during the school? Are this, you said it was boring as well. Were the subjects where you struggled? Most of all, you said, okay, I don't want to mm. go to that. Physical wall, education. Physical so education. like movement, movement climbing sport. a wall or yeah. jumping through all kinds of challenging things we did. <laughs> I don't remember and I cannot describe them in English. <laughs> But climbing a rope, I can describe, yeah, definitely was a challenge. <laughs> I almost failed in PE. Really? Yeah, because the teacher said, unless you can climb up the rope, you are not going to pass. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you just made it? I made just it. Just halfway. So um, this time, this time in, in the school, would you say this is dedicated to a specific chapter in your life? Mm. The, starting from going in the school yeah uh, personal development um yeah i i uh, as i got bored at school i learned languages so i developed an interest in foreign languages with languages you learn cultures yeah. remember this was just the period where hungary is opening up and yes. suddenly you can travel so before 89 we couldn't travel we were only allowed to travel to soviet countries yes so yes, that's yes. a completely different setup yeah. so i have been once to romania before the mm -hmm. border opened after the border opened we could travel but we had no money still so it took some time for most people also for our family to earn some money in the mm -hmm. capitalist times And I traveled first abroad when I was 14 and I came to Nottingham University mm -hmm. where my dad uh, did an online or second degree, kind of mid-life mid in his career. Uh, and I visited with him for four days. That was my first visit to the UK. Interesting. So this, you know, when the, the border opened, was there kind of a visual shift uh, or change where you saw in the education system as well? Because that was the time where you mm -hmm. were in the, in the school. Did you, yeah. did you experience? The school, I think it has a lag. It has a, uh, takes longer time to adapt to these changes. Yeah. It was, it were the same teachers were teaching us. It was the same students. It was not noticeable at all. Uh, people were poor still. The uniforms were abolished, yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, not really noticeable yeah. change. You mentioned about the languages. You started to learn languages mm -hmm. um, when you were bored. Which languages mm -hmm. were you most interested at that time? Most interested? Because or it's very <laughs> unusual, you know, when you feel bored, it's like interesting yeah. that you actually, you know, s go straight to languages and you're learning, yeah. starting to learn languages so, instead of something else. I okay. don't know, you do That's detail, you know. but if you are interested in why I studied languages was I was so bored with my language teachers. Sorry to say, it's not, I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> But I was so bored with the class being slow and a lot of, you know, f 14, 15 of us being in the same room and people not preparing for class. And I was prepared and I was frustrated. We are making such slow progress yeah. that our school had um, a rule that if you were to pass an intermediate exam, you could skip the classes forever. So you don't need to go to German class anymore or English class. So I set myself the goal, why am I wasting my time? Sorry. Um, but I was already quite time conscious. I hate to be bored. So I, I decided to take the exam to study hard and take an intermediate exam. So when I was 14, I already had an intermediate exam in English. You couldn't tell uh, <laughs> even now. But uh, <laughs> and I had also passed the German exam. 
uh, and therefore I could skip all those classes. So oh, yeah, okay. that was my motivation. That was your motivation. I had more free time. And yeah. while the others were struggling with the teacher, I was outside in the garden walking around. Unfortunately, I also got an allergy. It's really not planned. Some kind of health problem, minor, but um, it led me to not being able to exercise for two years. So I even had to skip the PE classes. Which the teacher hated me for that. To. But I also it wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> so I had yeah. plenty of free time and that yeah. led me to read and, you yeah, know, start discover what, yeah. Yeah, what do I do with the time to yeah. walk, to start exercising, go swimming, learn yeah. cello. So you were interested in several uh, things, yeah. um, music instruments and uh, languages. Mm. Were you at that time during the school uh, in particular interested in a specific area to say okay I like to organize I like to manage I like to I'm interested yeah. in the you know in the it's obvious for me it's not that sexy it's mathematics yeah I was interested in math mm -hmm. and I went to competitions uh, school level and city level and I'm proud that I made it to country level I was never really a genius at math but I was good enough to make it to country level competitions okay And that was a great experience. That's great. Yeah. Um, how would you summarize this school terms? Can you give it, an, give it a name or give it a, a title? Yeah. Uh, exploring about knowledge. Exploring about knowledge. Yeah. I like it. But you would say these other terms were also relatively positive for you. Yeah. Yeah. All like my chapters are positive. The, I'm the, so lucky. I like that positiveness, actually. <laughs> yes. um, in, the, in some of the previous podcasts, some, some people sometimes have specific chapters which mm. are more negative than positive. Because okay. they needed this in order to turn this into a positive. Yeah. And so I think um, when I read about storytelling books, I now need to go into a depressed mode. Otherwise, you will stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> because all the storytelling books tell me that the hero's journey starts with the hero and the hero has difficulties serious problems which cannot be resolved it's the same like as a uh, hero story yeah uh, story exactly line. so, so yeah. for me in some way maybe it sounded positive for some way to for me and my generation this hero story was really this socialism to capitalism change the opening up of the borders the creation of the opportunity that my parents who were engineers and phds hmm. they were earning the same amount of salary as the people who clean the street it's not that phds are better people yeah. or somehow um, should be you know higher on the hierarchy everyone contributes with what they can But uh, there was no such as in the West that because of your education, you will earn a better salary. Everyone earned the same salary. Or if you worked hard there or you got promoted, you will get a better salary. Mm. No, that was not the case. It was a very much a socialist society where everyone earned the same, mm -hmm. independent of how hard you worked, how much you worked, or what was your education, your contribution. Yeah. Um, how was your last day of school do you remember that i don't really remember i just remember this allergy that i struggled with which led me to skip pe yeah. and i kept going to a doctor who was uh, not able to heal it in the end but anyway this lady said oh it must be because you are so stressed it must be a nervous reaction because of final exams yes. i was like oh come on 
no, I'm so bored. I already know all those. Come on. <laughs> I just went to different competitions. I'm not worried. The only thing I worried about is history. I wasn't yes. able to remember numbers. But she misdiagnosed me so much. It was very easy finishing. Yeah. Final exams were great. Uh, I was helping my classmates to pass. <laughs> I can admit that. And uh, it was a happy time. Every so time. How was the time afterwards? So once you finished hmm. the school, um, what did you do? University, what? straight away. Straight away? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, but I already knew that I will apply for Erasmus program because we were lucky to be in the EU at that time. And uh, our university had this agreement um, uh, to exchange students between various universities because I was speaking German or able to speak German at that time we had the opportunity to go to Germany so I don't remember which year probably third or fourth year of university I went to Germany mm -hmm. for one year one year yeah. yeah where did you go in Germany Bremen Bremen ah yeah nice you did go to Budapest University uh, yeah you did study technology and economics mm -hmm. What was so interesting in these topics for you at that time? It was mathematics. Mathematics. It's yeah. still the same. It was still the same passion. It was still the same passion. Um, and uh, my father is a software engineer. And uh, he uh, always said, yeah, mathematics, very nice. I understand why you love it. I love it too. However, it's not practical enough. <laughs> Make sure that you learn to write software, which is also mathematics. Actually, he was right. It's algorithms, it's logic, it's figuring out how to solve hard problems. And um, yeah, I think he gave me a good advice. Uh, and then I started to gain an interest in software. Mm. And that's how I ended up. So your parents software. were always very close to you as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Advised you or supported you with all the decisions or the, yeah. the direction you wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily. Yeah. Um, how was the time in the university for you? Was it because you actually, as you said before, you you did study something which you really love? Yes. Um, did you? How did you? How did you found this time? Was it yes. boring, similar to before, Not or was it like all. something where you literally grow? Yes. Personally as well. So I challenged you in the beginning before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> whether I can sing on the podcast. So I, let me recall a memory. <laughs> okay. Let's so, let the okay, that's the moment. Where, uh, the singing it's a fantastic uh, university I attended, Budapest University of Technology and Economics. I did the software engineering uh, studies and we have a tradition. So even my father himself, many years before, 30 years ago, studied and did the same uh, work, same master. And we have a, a strong tradition there that uh, the young youngsters and the first year students go through. And we had to sing. And you can imagine this is a Hungarian song. It's yeah. long, but we only sung the first one. As I remember standing in the circle with the other students singing this song as it finishes drinking vodka. <laughs> so that's the truth. You asked for some hero's journey. <laughs> that was my hero's journey. So it was a really good community. It was a very hard and tough um, uh, master. It was five years long and we had to study a lot, but we also yeah. partied a lot. That was the first time I realized I cannot take alcohol <laughs> to get <laughs> drunk immediately. Vodka, I mean, obviously uh, my friends 
probably are laughing now because I'm still not drinking much, maybe once in a year. But uh, it was fun and and we had a really good um, previous students and continuity of a lot of traditions, activities, competitions. And it was the first time that I felt I'm not bored. Actually, it was really hard yeah. and challenging. And I was growing as a person, both professionally and personally. Yeah. So... You mentioned about this not being bored anymore, and that's very interesting because you know, till the university, you felt like not challenged. Yeah. You didn't grow personally all of mm. a sudden in the university. Um, you started to to learn new things in that topic, mm -hmm. where you could connect to other subjects later on as well. Yeah. Um, this this years, this five years is actually five years is a long time. Would you say this? Uh, It's an own chapter where you say, okay, this is a chapter where you say, okay, this is the university life, partying a little bit as well. But at the same time, yeah, you started to... Um, yeah, definitely. It's its, its own personally. chapter. Yeah. Understanding mathematics. <laughs> Or That's what you decoding you mathematics. Because I remember in University of Bremen, I studied coding theory. Yeah. It was one of the toughest subjects. And every time we started a new subject, I felt, oh, my God, I'm not, just not clever enough. I'm the dumbest student in this class. I was so much challenged. Yeah. But that's how I felt. Eventually, I was managing it quite well, to be honest, probably top 5%. I was never feeling that I'm best at everything, but I was doing well. And in German, not in my own language, in, in German, German we studied coding itself. I don't know, Kodierungstheorie, something like this. <laughs> we also had Sicherheitstheorie and all kinds of other subjects, which is security and other hard subjects, network management, communication networks, which led me later to work in telecoms. But uh, this coding theory or coding theory, Kodierung theory, yeah, um, the teacher asked me if in the second part of the year, if I went back to help run the class with him. So it was such a, a praise, such an acknowledgement that, okay, probably he thinks I'm good enough in yeah. German to help him tutor, to help him create exercises, make the lessons more interactive. Because I took the courage and went to this professor You know, professor, with all respect, I love the class, but it's a bit boring. Uh, here are some suggestions. I would do some exercise here. I would do some exercise. He was like, ah, why don't I pay you some money? Why don't we allocate some time and you will run part of the class? Like, really? Yeah. And he, he kept his promise and we worked together. So for me, this was like, wow, this was decoding mathematics. Yes. This was really challenging period, loving it connecting with engineering, software, and, and mathematics. And what age were you at that time? In 20, 2019. 2019. That must give you like a lot of self-confidence as well, that you're not yeah. just, you know, learn. More. You actually also teach. You yeah. take over the role of the other yeah, side. That's true. It, if I in think back, already. probably that's the only or the first experience when I push myself just by criticizing something <laughs> or giving a suggestion. He ended up hiring me as a tutor. Yes. I'm also thankful for this prof professor. And um, he gives you literally a, yeah. a place to yeah. not just to teach. I got but a also paid job. And yeah. in Germany, most of the students, to be fair, that was a really revealing difference between Hungarian students that in Germany, most of the students were 
uh, working in jobs and they were studying on the side. Mm-hmm. It took longer for them, probably eight years to complete yeah. or seven. But part-time study. Yeah, yeah, they were earning their own money, and that was my first year, this foreign year in Germany, where I actually also made some money. As I came back to Hungary, different, no one is working besides. Then I got bored already with the remaining years from the university because I could do more. And that's when I started my translation company. I don't know if you knew I ran a translation company. No, I did not actually. No, I did yeah. Maybe you mentioned it a long, long mm. time ago. But yeah, a long time ago. Translation company. Yeah. I was bored again. <laughs> you were bored. Okay. I keep hearing this. Uh, I keep bored. And then you actually start to innovate or you start yeah. to change. I start something <laughs> stupid. But that's kind of an entrepreneurship kind of scheme. Yeah. You, know, you see something is missing. Not not necessarily mm. external, but also internally. You feel yeah. bored. So you have to do something. Yes. And you saw a gap in the market or you saw that it's a need. Yeah. For, I saw uh, that I learned German well. a bit better than expected and you saw your, dis- yeah, your advantage no. and i started offering translations from german to hungarian i don't know how where i took the confidence i definitely don't speak german anymore that well so don't count on me now uh, but i might start another translation company <laughs> sometimes come back to this so i actually did this company for two years and that allowed me to buy my first flat in budapest i earned good money and to be honest because i attended to I was beginner, tended to underestimate the amount of work uh, a translation requires until I got better at it. When I started, I ended up working at night, like 4 a.m. I submitted my translation, heavily spell-checked and <laughs> made yes. sure. Um, I was translating uh, automotive uh, parts suppliers material, so mm-hmm. very specific words and vocabulary. Because that's where there is a lot of industry and exchange between German and Hungarian companies. So it's a niche. And I built a database and I use software to actually automate much of the translation. Mm-hmm. Never tell my clients. But that's also how now, 10 years later, most yeah. of translators work. Did you have a team or did you do it all by yourself? No, all by myself. All by yourself. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But I wow. enjoyed it. Um, how come that you not started to... Because you, you, you're talking about a company. Yes. And usually, um, I could have created think about the company team. like a two, three, four people behind yeah. helping you. I always acted like a company, and I had a company actually, and I was invoicing the clients yeah. and everything. But uh, I, I didn't build a team. Probably, probably I just had enough work, and I was so busy studying the remaining time hmm. that uh, I, I stopped partying that much, and I started this company, and I was still able to do it. Yeah, by, your, by yourself. Yeah. I mean, even hiring um, someone or adding team members to your company itself takes yeah. time also for, yeah. you know, and everything else. I mean, it becomes then yeah. uh, more time. But I do so remember in Hungarian terms, I really earned very good. Like later after university, when I started my first job as an engineer, my translation company made more money per month than my first job. Yeah. So. so what happened that you... Uh, stopped after two years yeah i realized that it's too much i too just much. need to live so it's balancing. too much work you mean um, yeah i mean it, you work it, it at night became, uh, yeah. Term, yeah it became relatively successful i invoiced a few thousand euros per month in hungary that was a lot of money especially as a student besides being full-time student writing master thesis i was working throughout yeah uh, i had boyfriend so i had some private life but i didn't have enough 
of it. Yes. So then I stopped. Uh, as much as I was using software to translate, I still had to type a lot, and then it became a bit hard. Okay. What did you do then? So you stopped. You were living mm-hmm. still. I mean, in in, in Hungary. In Hungary. Uh, I dreamt about going abroad again. Yeah. So. I asked my another favorite professor, uh, his name is Gabor Pronay. He um, was a, a professional project manager. He was a role model of how I imagined successful businessman to be. He was a great professor, very motivating, very inspiring, always quoting some famous inspiring quotes and explaining to us about being a good person, yeah. what it means and values. So very good education gave us, very holistic. Yeah, and um, then I realized, okay, what is important to me now is find another opportunity to go back to wherever, Germany maybe, or UK, or just travel the world. So I decided that I will apply to companies based on two things. One, how much I'm interested in what they do, and two, where can I travel? (laughs) Really, these two? (laughs) Yes, these two. And uh, I applied to three companies and I had the opportunity to interview with Eurocopter, memorable experience, company who produces helicopters. They are part of EADS. Mm -hmm. Met an amazing manager. I almost selected him. Also a French guy, uh, so, sorry, German guy, German manager who worked on an assignment in France. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to work in Marseille. And as I went through the interviews, the the deal would have been that I spend one year in Marseille, one year in Munich, and one year in Spain. Okay, like that's kind years. of uh, my dream. Yeah. The only problem was that the job process. itself, manager was great, very inspiring person. The job itself was more like an IT support job. It wasn't okay. about the IT of the helicopters. Mm-hmm. It was more about the IT that supports the operation of the helicopter manufacturing company. So Windows support, Excel support. I felt I studied too much on coding algorithms and coding theory and, yes. you know, uh, coding theories and security and all those difficult subjects to be a support person. Yes, yes, yes. But that let, that let you also be, you know, mm-hmm. feel like you're not in, not, not just in, not in the right position, but also mm-hmm. that it didn't challenge you. Yeah, right? yeah. I was afraid of being know. bored. Yeah. Again, so I chose Ericsson with the Hungarian manager, who I already mentioned, equally amazing manager, and they promised me travel. Uh, The deal was also Ericsson had a great leadership development program for young graduates, two years, with plenty of mentoring, coaching training, presentation training, all kinds of trainings they have received, and the opportunity to work in a developing country of our choice and the developed country of our choice. And of course, Hungary at that time also counted as a developing country. So we had two other countries we could go to, all paid, salary paid, everything, and then stay with the company. Yeah. So that was the time where you started to travel. Yes. You actually looked into companies abroad. Um, what was your goal at that time? Was it more like gaining more work experience, uh, living more abroad, getting to yeah. know people abroad? Yeah. Or was it more getting to know more knowledge in a specific subject? Because mm. you mentioned about Sony Ericsson and different companies as well. Mm. Did you at that time? you wanted to specialize yourself or did you just wanted to gain more work experience yeah. in general? I'm not a, a specialist type person, even though I have interest in very specific fields, but these interests change over time. Mm-hmm. So 
At that time, I was interested in how to be a good manager, so leadership skills. Yes. So I love that it's a leadership program where they actually start teaching us leadership skills, even though we were not in a leadership role, we were a software developer. Yes. Yeah? But they started growing us into people with leadership skills. There was no promise that they will make us a manager, but I tried to become a manager very early, and I had the opportunity to become a manager in China for mm -hmm. the first time, one year into my career, very tough one, in China, in Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> so I was also interested in uh, cultures and working in different cultures, yeah. getting to know how is life there, but not only less about the touristic side, more about the real, the day-to-day -day life, the people, the languages. So I learned Chinese and learned about food and people, and yeah, that, that so the world opened up. Yeah, well, I mean, living in China, living in a, uh, or in... Before learning, Olympics. Learning, yes, exactly. Uh, before that time and also learning Chinese, actually. Yeah. Mandarin. Mandarin, Mandarin. Yeah. Um, opened a complete different world, you know, yes. different culture. I'm so grateful. Habits, uh, um, how was that time for you when you look back? Um, this kind of, where you started to apply for, you know, to reach out to companies yeah. abroad. Living abroad, working for Sony Ericsson, I'm sure you have plenty of stories to share. Yeah. Uh, I didn't work for Sony Ericsson, I worked for Ericsson. Uh, Ericsson so sorry, yes. Sony Ericsson yes, was already yes, yes. a joint venture, yes. as a separate with Sony, but Ericsson. Um, yeah, it was about growing in confidence. So I tell you the story, if you haven't been to a country and you research it on the internet, Make sure you also talk to people. So I'm already that generation which prepared about the country, how it will be solely based on the internet. I haven't yes. asked any person. I just researched, 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 made up my own impression. I said, okay, I found my city. I'm not going anywhere like developing country. I didn't choose Africa or India. These were other options. No, I said, no, I'm going to China, Shanghai. Look at those buildings. They're amazing. Then I <laughs> arrived. Okay. It turns out even the taxi driver cannot read the English words or cannot find my hotel because he has a Chinese map only with Chinese characters. I have an English map only with English characters. Yes. And the map is a 20 million uh, resident city. Map is vast, so we couldn't actually find the address. Um, yeah, it was a deep water situation. The real life is different. It was a highly polluted city with noise and with, you know, 24-7, you know, movement around and a lot of crowd and lack hectic of trees. Hectic city, a very hectic city. Hectic. Busy. It's also happy, but uh, you had to develop a sense for Chinese way of happiness, yes. like getting used to Chinese food, getting used to noisy and even smoky restaurant. At that time, it was still allowed to smoke in China inside mm -hmm. inside restaurants yes. so it was a very different world than what you saw on the internet <laughs> but it must, for, must be for you also kind of uh, to work in hard conditions as well in a yeah. very very busy hectic environment yeah um how did you feel at that time was it more like this kind of as you said before growing in confidence or was mm. it more like gaining work experience you know that you're gonna be not gonna live there forever yes. or was it more about that really struggled and then you just say, okay, yeah. this is maybe affecting me a little bit. I have to move forward. Yeah, of course I struggled as much as I would like to say, no, it was easy and <laughs> often. <laughs> when you put yourself in a new situation, especially when it surprises you, the first two weeks I didn't eat any meat 
because there was not the usual type of meat, more like pig ears or chicken feet or other things which I was not used yes. to. So I lost about five kilos in one week of weight. Uh, second week, I was already like kind of sick, but just kind of shaking. I haven't lost more weight, just five kilos, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> second week onwards, I discovered the supermarket. It's called Jalufu, Carefour, Chinese name for Carefour, and that saved my life. I bought my own little <laughs> <laughs> stocks from Europe. Uh, thank you, French people. And... Uh, then uh, uh, I, I started crying. I called my family second week. Oh my God, it's totally different. I was walking and walking and walking and trying to find a tree a from tree. my flat. One single tree. For five kilometers, there was no tree. The really? city is made of concrete. Because I remember you always look forward to tree. Green tree nature, to be yeah. in nature. To run somewhere green. Be, how was that? I mean, when you depressing. <laughs> must be depressing. Must you get be. used to it, but yeah, it's hard. Did it affect your work as well, or did it more uh, your mood? Yeah. Or No, I mean, it did affect your mood, so that's why I was yeah. crying. But yeah. then I met some managers at work, so most of the people at that time in Ericsson were already Chinese local. Mm -hmm. Great, actually, it's just we had to learn to communicate. They didn't speak that much English because they didn't have many visitors and I didn't speak Chinese at all. So very quickly I realized I need to find a teacher, start learning Chinese. Every evening I booked a one-on-one -on -one, uh, tutor. Mm -hmm. He again, amazing person and learned the language quickly, obviously the basics. So I started to get along with taxi drivers, know the way home, be able to speak, yeah. buy at the supermarket. And I found my passion through the language to start discover the city. And as I mentioned in the beginning, at first everything is a shock because it's not how it is in the internet yes. when you start living there day to day. If I were a tourist and went to tourist hotspots and stayed in English hotels and well, yeah. had a lot of money on my credit card and time to spend would have been different. But it was day-to-day yeah. -day work, going to the office where everyone is Chinese and yeah. people don't speak English. Yeah. I mean, what you did, you adapted. Mm. You had to adapt. Yeah. And as you said before, like, you know, with the other tourists, you know, they live in their own bubble. Often, yes. I mean, it's not, not necessarily in Shanghai, but in other areas where... Yeah, I don't know, this, you know, resorts where mm. they travel around the world, stay in resorts. Or cruises. And don't even get in touch with locals. They don't eat the local food. Exactly. So just for the sake of being there in this country, mm. um, it's not the right experience. And actually what you said, you get to know the local culture, mm -hmm. but also the negative and positive aspects of it, yeah. which actually kind of encourages you to, to find... Us. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, it's, but you you see also what areas can be improved. Yeah, which is kind of you know observation for entrepreneurs as well. So, yeah, this isn't a problem. There is yeah. no alternative. No alternative, trees no <laughs> on tree. the street. Obviously, there is no trees. Are there ways to improve? Maybe let's say talking about health, the nature, improve the health. Or what is it? Yeah, actually, also looking for facts first. Mm. What is the current situation? Yeah, and what can be done in order to solve that you are amazing and you that's are like speaking green <laughs> yeah, this is this is what I, I see like i'm trying to see more and more how you actually go into this because yes. what i when i just translate this um experience mm. your experience in it china sucks. <laughs> it does suck but it's you know you had to adapt you had to adapt you had yes. to but you, at the same time you observe yeah and you observe on a daily basis yeah things which are good and bad and you start thinking of what could be done to change that yeah. And Another word was perseverance. 
I had to be patient, learn a bit of a language. It actually was much easier. I all I, I would like to recommend to all people listening to this, explore Chinese because it looks hard, but it's actually a very simple language with no grammar and the characters can be practiced and turned into nice pictures. It's actually a very symbolic language, very condensed. So one character signifies an entire word. Yeah, yeah, unlike for our alphabet, A doesn't signify, okay, in this case, A signifies a word, but let's say C <laughs> or B <laughs> is not a word, it's a yes. syllable. So it's a very compact language, very beautiful with the calligraphy, with the, with the art around it, with the stories about, uh, beyond imagination about each character, the, how the Chinese language has been simplified from mm -hmm. 16 strokes per character on average, brush, stro uh, brush strokes, strokes only, yeah, I can't really. pronounce I it, know. 16 to on average 5, 6. So the language mm. has been simplified. And still today, Taiwan still has the complicated language, the original, the traditional Chinese. Yeah. But if you use the modern language in these big cities, it's simplified. The so I only had to one. learn the simplified language. The basic one, yeah. And my peak experience from that period was when I started to blend in and make some friends and started to enjoy it was our karaoke in Chinese. Karaoke in Chinese? Yes. <laughs> Tell me, what is your... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> also in Chinese, the songs, 90% yes. of karaoke songs contain I love you, I love you too. <laughs> it's all about yes. love, love. And relationship. Yeah. So. so these times in China, um, mm -hmm. would you say this is a chapter by itself? Yeah. Because this is like, you know, it's like literally living on the other side. Yeah, it's it could be a nice chapter, culture. living on the other side. Living on the other side, would you... Would you call it this living yeah. on the other side, more positive sense? How would yeah. you summarize? Or how would you summarize this five? For yes. personally, it was being more confident or growing confident. Um, but still, that was who I yeah, became. Growing. It's the same me, but dealing with hardship and turning it into fun and a great experience. And hardship, well, it was self-imposed. <laughs> I just wanted to go do this leadership program, explore a bit. Yeah. It was hard, but it turned into fun. What happened then afterwards? Uh, five years? I don't remember. Change. Okay. <laughs> Lot of travel. Okay, let's make it one big chapter, because if we go country by country. Could be one big chapter, yeah. I mean, yeah. could be one big chapter. I mean, after China. Like the, the travel, exactly. Yeah. So after China? After China, the travel accelerated so much that I don't even remember the correct order, but I could go back in old CVs or logs. I think after China, I came back. You can back. highlight also the most important. Yeah, I went yeah. to Sweden first. Great experience, Swedish company. So Sweden was just, yeah, like what I already understood a bit from the company culture, which was very different from Hungarian companies very people-oriented, family-oriented. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Swedish culture and Swedish mm -hmm. companies. I had a lot of, you know, great experiences, good managers, a uh, lot of growth opportunities, uh, lovely city also, Stockholm. Then I worked in Ireland, in Hungary, in the US, in Canada. I don't remember the order, different places. And I continued doing coaching, so I mm -hmm. became an agile coach, which is effectively helping run uh, improvement projects across businesses with shortened time to market, improve software delivery, 
improve customer satisfaction. So it was to my satisfaction that I discovered this because it's a very good role, very people-oriented, it uses lean, and you can play all day because Agile uses a lot of games or learning activities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I discovered I like playing uh, with... Uh, in a playful way, actually. Yeah. What, what, playful that's what, I, way, what you mentioned before or in the beginning playful of the way podcast to as well train people, playful way to innovate, like design sprints. And yes. that's how we are entering another chapter soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From here onwards, life became really confident. I learned that I can sell myself, so to say, still in the company, mm -hmm. but I was putting my hand up at every opportunity and say, okay, let me travel. <laughs> but you I took over more responsibility as well. More and you more. started to also, you know, when it, com when uh, when it comes to leadership as well, you started well, to more. Teach. They encouraged us to lead, yeah. so it didn't. They didn't say you will be a manager, but they encouraged us to put our hand up, and they kind of drilled it in me. And I'm still working on this. It's not my strengths. I mentioned in the first chapter it was about being humble. Yes. That was my origin, yeah? To grow confident for me was always a growth area. To mm -hmm. be confident in my own skin, to believe I can do it, to believe I might even help other people. Oh my God, who I am. So to just do believing that. on yourself. Yes, so uh, it, they drilled it into me to be more assertive, put my feet down, yeah. and Chinese language helps because then, oh, yeah. I want this. <laughs> That's how Chinese speak. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I, I, now I can speak English in a very assertive way. <laughs> it's not really how English people speak. Oh, yeah. English yes. in a Chinese Chinese accent. <laughs> so, yeah, one development area yeah. for that 10-year period was becoming more confident, but still staying humble inside. But when opportunities came, put up your hand and do it. Say you can do it, say you want to do it. Uh, if you can travel, go see the world. And um, yeah, I'm yeah. very fortunate and glad I did that. And these were the times where you, before you moved actually to UK, right? These yes. were the times where... Um Unsettled. <laughs> unsettled, kind of unsettled. Yeah, traveler. Traveler, uh, kind of a nomad as well. Yes, uh, um. just today, my dad, embarrassing moment, my dad called me. This was about 10 years of traveling. Okay, it seems 10 years, probably six years. Okay. Um, but 10 countries, something like this. <laughs> and everywhere I moved, I had, had to rent a flat. Maybe the company paid for it, maybe not. I had to, you know, buy a pen or some some kind of household equipment. Usually I had my own kitchen. Kind of move in, have mm -hmm. my work clothes, have summer and winter there, and I accumulated stuff. Yeah. And it was a development journey again to keep it simple. So forward it to 2019. Is it 19 or 18? 18. 18, okay, good. Next I will year. release this podcast in 2019, okay. so that's next a bit year, incorrect. <laughs> next year my father calls, hopefully, but this year he called today. <laughs> he said, Andrea, you know, in the garage you still have two languages. Oh, no we are kind of renovating the house soon, so you know, you need to unpack them or I will trash them. <laughs> so I still have some stuff <laughs> that I dragged around the world. Yeah. And is now deposited. I, I know you as you mentioned about um, you know the traveling and also trying to keep your belongings small, the number of belongings. And I, I, I know you as someone who lives also a simple life, is trying mm -hmm. to keep 
few belongings at home as well. I would say yeah. minimalistic lifestyle. Yeah, Stri- simplistic. Simpli- simplistic lifestyle. And not at that time. I was still developing this quality. Yeah, but uh, you had to because with I all had the traveling. To. I mean, you when you move Half every a year, year here. exactly. Twice exactly. a year I moved. I mean, yeah. I, and I can talk from experience when I was living in New York and so on. I mean, you started to see be- objects yeah. as a burden. Yeah, initially the objects help you when you go in a very different culture or far to the other side. You bring something with you, some pictures, some books, which help you feel at home. You buy stuff there because you feel you will never go back. You start to hoard because it's a nice memory. You just made it to Thailand. Let's buy some stuff from Thailand. It's a nice memory. You go here, here, here. You end up with 25 things from 25 countries. And suddenly I moved back from China. I remember I had 80 kilos. 80 kilograms. Yeah. So the truth is I haven't always been a minimalist. (laughs) 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 I had to learn this and I kept traveling. And then over time is starting to dawn on me that home is not in the objects. Yes, I do have some pictures also here with me, some photos of friends and childhood, but it's not in the objects. It's in our heart. It's how we feel. It's the memories. It's inside us. And I can totally relate to that. Because mm. the thing is, the memories, no one can take your, these memories away. Mm. Objects yeah. can be taken away. And just in the end of the day, just objects. But in mm. that gone, they're gone. Memories are not, cannot be removed. Mm. And I think this is also what many, unfortunately, forget. You know, many mm. buy mm. objects or whatever it is mem- as a replacement to memories. Yes. But if we recall ourselves what we have done so far, if we just always remind ourselves of the good times as well, yes. you know, the good old photo picture cam- uh, album and so on, if you remind ourselves through mm. pictures, I think this are stories which you can tell later on to the next generation as well, to your next, yeah, uh, to your kids. You know, when you give an object to your kid and say, here, that's what we did. I mean, there is no story behind. Yeah. But pictures where you see people. True. Tell a story. Or where you hear the stories. Exa- yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. where the story is actually about. Stories remind you of memories. Mm. Of good memories in your life. So, I want to go a little bit more into the time you left. You started to move to UK. Yeah. And you moved to UK in 2010? Oh, is it, am I wrong? 2010-11? Mm. must uh, be around that time. I was time, here in 2010, yeah. but then I moved out for half a year. So I did a yeah. large, my, so I became independent. I left Ericsson. I'm thankful for that company. But at some point I grew out of, out of it. Yeah. And uh, I started consulting and I came to the UK through a consulting project, which was a enterprise-wide lean transformation. It was through my previous colleague. It was a fantastic work experience. Also, life-wise, I still remember I was in a small sailing village. It's called Hambler Rice, in next to the New Forest, most beautiful area in the UK, in the south. And every time after work, I could see yachts and boats and like a harbor <laughs> from my window. I'm so, wow, I'm so fortunate. Yeah. I was renting a car. <laughs> I had some small accidents. I was learning to drive in the UK on the wrong side for me. <laughs> on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> and having a really, really interesting and good time, mm. time of my life, trying to settle down. But okay, how can you settle in as a contractor, freelancer? Yes. Well, you never know how long you will stay. Mm. Uh, I ended up working here for a year. And when I 
was considering where to go after that, I initially went back to Hungary. Uh, and then I just decided, okay, I, I will come back. I think I will come back and settle in the UK. Because okay. the only place in 2010-11 that in Europe I felt, okay, there were a few places, Berlin, Amsterdam and London, which were international enough for me to be able to connect with people, mm -hmm. recall those memories of travel, of culture, to feel that I'm part of something more open. And yes. now it's very relevant with the Brexit. Yes happening here to have this community of international people yes and that experience not that i don't like british people it's it's a lovely place lovely country but i like also the meeting of cultures this i mean london itself is this bubble mm. of a multicultural kind of bubble yeah. as well you started you found the company lean advantage mm -hmm. uh, in the uk Yes, and I think that was also a few months after you found it. That was why I met you in 2011 in Impact Hub. Hmm. Yes, uh, in, in Westminster, Impact Hub, Westminster. So Impact Hub is, um, I would for everyone who don't know what it is, it's kind of a co-working space for social entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a global network now. Global network of over 80 offices, I think, around the world, yeah. and yeah. So I, I was at that time. I was there as well, and. I remember you just started to getting clients, True. but also being very stressed. And I remember one moment where <laughs> you told me, and I, I hope I have that permission. Yeah. Uh, you can ask that. me anything. <laughs> la, 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 la. Uh, <laughs> the moment think. you tell me, you know, usually people know that you're very stressed when you put on your glasses. Ah, true. And that's, now I'm and now you're wearing glasses as well. Every day. And that's usually... <laughs> now you're wearing it. Since two years. You're not even taking it off. Um, and it's true. <laughs> I remember actually the very first time I met you in Impact Up, you were wearing glasses. And you, because that is a time where you're getting the mm. first clients and you panic and you know it's, there's yes. nothing coming in, etc. Um, can you explain us a little bit more about Thank this, you this for time for this. the Lean Advantage? Yeah. I actually yes. enjoy this a lot because... Yeah, it reminded me of there were hard times. Now I'm living the dream or <laughs> my the business. The classes has changed slightly now. Yes. It's more like for <laughs> <laughs> like now life is not stressed. No, I, I made it now. <laughs> but it's no, it's, it's still stressed. Stress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's different. Um, and that period was about coming back to the UK on my own terms, not having a client. So seeking clients, starting up my another company, a separate my own company and um, in this community effectively I think everyone was looking for clients and actually there were some exchanges between the community mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I was fortunate to have first friends came to my workshops I was taking the materials that I used inside previous companies that I developed to train people in lean and agile to explain them how to use it in a small business or in a large business either case for improving business and life mm -hmm. and I remember running these first workshops and feeling so happy because there were no people but all my friends came and <laughs> paid <laughs> even paid <laughs> to support me <laughs> so that was that period you, and did, yeah, you yeah. Uh, did it in Impact Hub yes yeah. and I did a lot of free talks went to speak at conferences at that time I already had credibility I just had to be patient because mm. I had the background the knowledge the content But I had to keep doing the meetups, the free talks, the company visits. And uh, after about a year, I had the opportunity to win my first client. Mm -hmm. 
direct contract, how was head that of mo- HR. How was that moment getting the happy? First <laughs> yeah, fear. How will I do this again? Of course, yeah. a bit of overcommitting, but very good. Um, the head of HR recruited me. He's not there anymore with the firm. However, he uh, spoke to other consultants. He said he chose me because I was the most authentic someone who truly does what he pre- preaches, yes. so to say. So, I Which is it. rare in this, uh, mm. in this uh, industry as well. Yeah. Often you, you know, you hear fake. Mm. Uh, yeah, sh- sh- uh, fake conversations as well, etc., mm. etc. Et it's a very tough business in the end of the day. And getting the first client it doesn't mean that the second will follow immediately. It's yes. hard work. Yeah. Um, it's word of mouth, literally. Yes. What you have to keep in mind. Word of LinkedIn, effectively recommendation. Exactly. Um, so the last two years, um, you also emphasized more and more, um, or also to me and to others as well, or you worked in that field also in, in social entrepreneurship. Mm. You have a good heart and you worked yeah. in, uh, or you were part also as a contributor to a better world. Mm-hmm. Dot. And also the, what was it called? Um, social startup. Social startup, but it's, um, no, no, I mean the, for the toilets. Um, ah, World Toilet Organization. Yes, and I remember very well, you mentioned about this once in Impact Hub, they said, you should, you should be involved in there, they're doing an amazing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, work. WTO and is not World Trade Organization, it's World Toilet Organization. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I re- since that time, mm-hmm. I realized that you are heavily emphasized a focus on working not just with individuals, but impacting people's life. Yes. And the work you try to do, you know, you do change management, you, with uh, Scrum, Kanban, um, coaching, you know, all this, all this leads to impacting people's life. Yes. Actually imp- supporting Many people who have life. access to other people to impact their lives, to yeah. make their lives Through safer. the managers. Exactly. Scaling up. So, can you share a little bit more about the work you uh, mm-hmm. have done in the past few years uh, when it comes to social entrepreneurship? Uh, mm. How did you reach out to these clients? I how think did they I haven't done them? enough. <laughs> you haven't done enough. You yeah. <laughs> I mostly work with private sector companies, to be mm. honest, um, who have an impact in the world, good or bad. Um, but they do impact their employees, typically 40,000 to 200,000 employees. This is the type of clients that I work with for profit uh, these clients do have projects that i worked on like microfinance or payment mobile payment for example or mobile transports a lot of mobile application related projects which do improve the lives for example being able to use tfl transport for london and go through the gates with your phone was one of our projects launches I was only a tiny, tiny contributor to this, to be honest. Mm. There were existing teams who were delivering these amazing products and services. I was their coach and mentor to have them deliver earlier, to have them deliver better quality of products, to have train the entrepreneurs, so to say. We call them product owners who build these great innovations uh, to run some innovation events. Um, These were examples. And often the social impact that I have in companies is more about how people feel in their Mm -hmm. jobs. If they can uh, 
you know, they feel disengaged at some point and they are about to leave their job. And the company itself is not doing well and there is a lot of wasteful processes and admin. That's typically when I go in. And um, I not only see the process being transformed, but much of my work is seeing why are people unhappy here? What is going on here? They are detached from the customer. Most often people don't know who their customer is or why they are coming in every day, nine to five nine to five zero zero and then they leave because they hate their job and then I look for reasons and have them realize no actually your job matters so you better make it interesting or find ways to enjoy it and I have a help you yeah let's let's make your job interesting again let's re-energize your team let's work with the managers in those areas hundreds of managers um at the time to see why are the managers disliking their jobs? What yeah. is going on with the managers? Because we discussed, I think it was before the podcast, this podcast is long, my memory is short, that most people leave because they are fed up with their yeah. manager. But that's all. In the end of the day, the manager has a responsibility to create an environment, mm. an environment where the employees feel comfortable in. Yeah, or even engaged or grow, not bored. Yeah, not bored, etc. It's their responsibility and not just growing the business because at the end of the day, it's a team. And that's so many forget. It was also the time where you got more and more involved in management 3.0, right? Mm, Yeah. If you can maybe quickly explain what it is and what it impacted in other uh, teams. Mm. Management 3.0 is a new mindset about... Uh, uh, defining whose job is management. Uh, Management traditionally is the job of only the managers. But Management 3.0, created by Jürgen Appello, is a book and a mindset, a movement of growing companies where every single employee feels a manager. They care and they realize they can have an impact on themselves, their company, their results. And it's effectively, um, I run workshops uh, to help people learn basics of management. So if you remember my story, I did the same. I went through leadership training. It changed my life. It gave me confidence. It gave me ability to sing terribly Uh, (laughs) and to do lean, (laughs) which I love, and play games and get paid for it. (laughs) What else should I say? So um, I would like to recreate this and Management 3.0 for me is the right mindset and movement to allow people to be a bit of a manager, to take charge of their lives. But taking lead as well. I mean, I joined in April the courses Mm -hmm. as well. And uh, I think there are so, there are relatively basic messages, but they're Mm -hmm. very important on a daily basis when you yeah. work you know delegation giving, giving feedback knowing how to give feedback you know mm. we, we think we might know it but in fact we don't know mm. uh, how it could be better how it actually currently affects that uh, mm. the other person. Mm. and that's by itself knowing specific techniques to mm. explore because in the end of the day each team and each startup each company is different you know you yes. have to adapt it's not like one fits all solution but knowing certain uh, techniques mm-hmm. and updating them or pivot them towards yeah. your needs help and i think yeah. the management 3.0 is kind of a as you say it's a movement or is it like a platform set where of practices practices too. exercises where mm-hmm. you on a daily basis create a better team spirit yes for the team where you see on a daily basis and if you work alone for yourself yeah like i still have a personal kanban board I don't show it to you because it's full with stuff and I preach that don't start to my stuff. But 
Yeah, that's not beautiful, but I do use these methods to my own life. I yeah. use kata, which is lean method to improve things and achieve your goals. Toyota kata. I use management 3.0 when I work with others. Uh, we run a meetup here in London. For example, how do we delegate? How do we distribute work in a team? Yeah. We use those practices in our lives. Yeah. What I just realized is actually from your office, uh, from your office, from your home, <laughs> you can see your office, office actually, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm currently looking towards Canary Wharf, um, which leads me to the next question uh, <laughs> um, or area, <laughs> topic. Uh, you became Archer coach for yes. HSBC. Yes. Um, which I see As right a now contractor. There. As a contractor. <laughs> uh, I see right now uh, the tower in Canary yes. Wharf. Tell me a little bit more about this. How, how did that impact you? Um, how did yes. you see it? Because that's kind of a really, it sounds a very challenging position as well. Yes. But also a client where it's hard to get, you know. I mean, yes. it's because with your dedication and your hard work and you're persistent and being patient. Mm. Yes. It is possible. Possible, obviously. Yeah. And you showed that it's possible to get yes. this kind of client in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in London in particular. Yes, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. It's a tough, it's a very ambitious transformation as most banks. Also, this bank is going through a digital era where services of banks are moving to the cloud and people need to develop more software and more software, more digital apps and more websites, more products. I work in the back office of the bank and uh, it is not only a technology transformation, but it's a business transformation. It's a mindset. It's again about people. So when we look at engagement in industries and reports per industry, the honest truth is that financial industry is lagging behind. So a lot of people are really disengaged at work. Um, people are well paid, but how much people feel connected to their jobs? Yeah. Very little. So I redefine my mission again, based on my CV or on the surface, it seems I'm improving processes and doing lean and agile. But as many of you might know, it is you are never able to separate process from people. Yes. I kept repeating this, so now you know. <laughs> uh, so it is as much a people transformation, a cultural transformation. And I think me and my colleagues, we are contributing to shaping the future of finance. We want to see a finance where people are innovative, new services are created for greater good. For example, financial literacy, mm -hmm. helping people save more, be more conscious about their spending. HSBC says these projects. Um, and um, yeah, it's a fascinating time. I'm fortunate to be working with uh, ambitious managers and good, yeah. good leadership. Yeah. So the time being here in the UK for the last yes. seven, eight years. How would you describe this time? Because this is a time where yeah. Lean Advantage, your company mm. started. And also we st both started like social startup as well. An yes. initiative like to encourage young people as well or uh, startups to learn, to be more aware of what are the social issues around you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, local and actually start turning a problem into a solution and this into mm -hmm. a business model. How would you summarize this this time in the last few years? Um, coming up with different projects under Lean Advantage, working in different fields, working together, mm -hmm. we work together with social startup. How would you would you say this is one chapter? This is like this Lean yeah. Advantage. It's kind not of, finished. It's not <laughs> finished, chapter. obviously. Yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> so it's an ongoing chapter now. Whew, hard to give a title. Continuous improvement Continuous is a suitable <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> title. 
I'm not bored and we are starting a lot of new projects. I'm really thankful for our collaboration on the social startup. I still believe, so when we worked in Berlin with the refugee crisis, we had that a was, small event, that but was it lovely. was a, such a powerful yeah, event. Yeah. That was the time, of I don't course. know about you, but now you also work with Design Sprints and Innovation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I decided I, I love, I love this innovation. I love facilitating brainstorming ideas, yeah. going out to work with your users. With you the, were with a, directly with the client, uh, yeah. technically. I mean, for directly was, going out. Yeah, for everyone who was listening. So we were like, we organized a two-day workshop in mm. Berlin. I was back in, actually it was, the, the time were, was two, three years ago. Four years ago, maybe? Three, three, 2015, end of 2015, where actually the refugee crisis was at the mm. peak. And we started this two-day workshop uh, to find ways to welcome refugees. And to have them. Way in Berlin. And in these two days, we not just interviewed mm. refugees, we became good friends and actually still good friends. Mm. Yeah, on Facebook group. On Facebook group, exactly. So yes. we started, you know, to understand uh, them better yes. by observing and also design thinking we did a lot of techniques and what you said is like you love that because you love working directly with, with them yes. it's not like on a desk or in yeah. an office where you never I don't need touch with a problem even though the impact hub in berlin is lovely <laughs> <laughs> the office was lovely but yeah the most lovely feeling is to see your innovation work in the field yes. and it takes a lot of iterations and yeah. We reached the prototype stage, but it received good feedback. Yeah. And as you say, we were able to connect with people who didn't speak German through empathy, through being out there, through trying to understand and help them. Yeah. And even when they were in a very cold winter, in a bad situation, they gave us their food. Which was so... A surprise to us, yeah. because we actually thought they wouldn't eat food. In fact, they invited us yeah. in times where yeah. very tough for them. You mentioned about you wanted to do more. You want to work more in this field. Yeah, I think what I is still your next want chapter? to do more. What is your next chapter? Very good question. I can talk forever, but <laughs> yes. You're probably going to do a second uh, podcast on this. <laughs> okay, just a short one. <laughs> What's your um, next chapter? I feel, so recently I discovered a new tool. I will mention it beyond Management 3.0. I still love and teach and train. and Strong suit. Strong, strong suits yeah. is yeah, a way to help people right. discover their strengths but even beyond strong suits mm -hmm. which i also do to help you know what you do best and be more consciously using it but even more recently i discovered a tool <laughs> called steven reese motivation profile and it helps you discover your values so now i am offering some coaching and some workshops around this so why you would want to know your values values give you more like a compass in life and when you could be bored with your job or feel like something is missing, it's not necessarily financials, but you might not be living your values. So there is still a gap between what you do day to day and what you believe you should be doing or what's important to you. And in this tool, I discovered that for me, the need to have purpose and impact is very strong. And if I now think about the work with HSBC or Lean Advantage, the traditional consultancy, as much as I say in these companies, I, I work and improve employee motivation, um, I still believe that um, I, I want to do more. I want to do innovation like we did in the refugee crisis, local mm. problems. And recently I'm very interested in uh, sustainability. So pollution in London, 
very bad very bad yes 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 there are worse cities but london is very bad um uh, traffic very bad Uh, lack of health and exercise like health prevention obesity very bad Mm. alcohol consumption very bad there are so many things we could solve through combination of empathy design thinking technology agile lean Mm. and um, i think this will be my next chapter Mm -hmm. how would you call it (sighs) sustainable innovation sustainable innovation when I close the book, yes, um, and I want to slowly reach to the end of the podcast. I still want to leave, though. Second? So don't close the book. Just uh, say I keep the to book be continued. I keep the bo- I, of course, it's not, <laughs> not going to be closed. It will be always continued. Uh, but when I close it, and I, even if it will be continued, and I turn it around, mm. what do I see on the cover? Hmm. And it's about your life and all these chapters. What do mm. I see on the on, on the cover? So what do imagine I s- go to a library and I look, go to the mm. uh, self-help economic section, business section? I would. What would I see from far away? Yeah. What would be on the uh, cover? Discover more. Keep discovering. So that that's the title. Discover yeah. more. But what would what I see on the cover? What is the cover looking like? It's like a blue sky with uh, a window to the universe. Really? Interesting. Yes. Okay. A blue sky, okay, to the universe. And so In, it's kind of an access to knowledge, access to Yeah, access to more. Mm-hmm. But it's not material more. It's more experience more, observe more, patiently go through life, appreciate more. Uh, listen more, exercise more, because I love running, <laughs> and you too. Uh, eat more, no, enjoy the moment more. <laughs> eat more, eat more is also good. I like that. Okay, have sex more, I need to say that too. <laughs> Travel more, <laughs> discover more. <laughs> I can see you book in the other section of the library, too. <laughs> okay, lovely. Um, discover more, and I think this is all about when you find yourself being more mm. bored or bored in a current in any kind of situation like in your case you were more s- confident more yourself more be more you? find yeah find yourself as mm. well find what you're really curious on you might change over time in one yeah. two years your interest and that's normal and that should mm. be uh, but always keep that curious uh, um, yeah, if you want to not. change the world, start with yourself to learn yourself, to discover yourself, to start enjoying yourself. I think that's what I learned so far. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Brilliant. Where would uh, the the listeners find more about you online? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where, yeah. Few more places to visit. Maybe uh, Lean Advantage. Is our on leanadvantage.co.uk yeah. or leanadvantage.co. We still have two websites because CO is more cool. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on all, all the tools we mentioned, self-discovery tools, the management3.0.com website, on, LinkedIn, on leadership, yeah. on strongsuits.com or Reese Motivation Profile. You will, you will find me through these. But yeah, LinkedIn, Medium. I also blog on Medium. 
Yeah, I put the the links in the show notes so everyone can directly click and then mm-hmm. connect you directly to you. Mm. Brilliant. Thank you, Andrea. I'm gonna wrap up now because uh, we're gonna run a little bit over time. So thank you so much, Andrea, for taking the time. I truly enjoyed it. I could have talked with you way more, and I'm pretty sure we're gonna do a second podcast on a specific chapter, spe- chapter special edition, just to go way more in in depth into mm. the subject. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you so you, much, Danny. Andrea. Amazing experience. Thank you. One more thing to not take One away thing. the luggage. No, what? just podcast, another yeah. memory which cannot be taken away. That's very true. Thank it's now recorded. Mm. And the next chapter I will remind you. Come <laughs> have you really done this? Already? I will pay for this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right, that's it. Hope you liked this more entrepreneurial angle and insight into a life of an agile coach. You can find more about Andrea on her website at www.leanadvantage.co or on her LinkedIn profile. All links in the show notes. So folks, who else do you want to hear? What do you think about this a little bit more mathematics, entrepreneurial kind of topic? Please leave some comments. What did you like most from this podcast? Which chapters of other entrepreneurs, athletes, innovators, changemakers do you want to hear in the future? Please leave some comments or drop me a message on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ByDanielLudwig. For the folks out there, just a quick update. In the next few weeks, all podcasts will be uploaded on my website with each recording split in highlights. You can call it quotes, which are a great summary of each long conversation. Like a summary for everyone to get a brief, inspiring and motivational boost while listening to the whole recording throughout the week, during the commute, at home or even during sport. At least that's what I usually do. Long podcasts are made for long distance runs and during sports where a two hour conversation is filled with a two hour run. But of course you can also apply this to a commute. Listening and learning from others while exercising. That's all about rambling. Alright, look forward to your replies on social media. Just never forget, never give up, always look up. I'll see you next time.